Enterprise Management 360. Welcome to this Enterprise Management 360 podcast interview. Today we are speaking with Tristan Nito. Tristan created Mozilla Europe and drove Mozilla Firefox adoption and community growth in Europe. He is now the VP of Advocacy at Quant, pushing for a world with more movement within the internet and better options for search engines. Welcome, Tristan. It's a real pleasure to speak with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me today. So, Tristan, walk me through Quant. What is it you guys do and what does Quant mean for the future of search engines? Pour avoir un site bien conçu et bien référencé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, Yonos s'occupe de tout. Ce qui est sûr, c'est qu'avec Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute Well, Quant is a search engine. It is the only European search engine in Europe. And by search engine, I mean having its own servers, its own indexes, and its own algorithms. That's what we do. We are a French company with French capital and German capital. So we see ourselves as French and European. And we think it's important that Europe has its own search engine. Like every you know, large country has its own search engine. The US have several search engines. The Russians have their own, the Chinese have their own. And in Europe, we think because the search engine is so important because it's the entry point for the web, for internet users, we think it is important that Europe has its own search engine. And so that's what we do. So that's one thing for Quant. It has really two legs. The first one is European. And the second is that we are very concerned about privacy. And so Quant protects their users' privacy. We do not collect personal data. And so when someone shows up on Quant.com and asks for you know, a query, For example, bicycle, someone is searching for a bicycle, so type bicycle. We know nothing about the person except that he typed bicycle and we know the IP address in order to return the results. And the IP address is immediately scrambled in order not to be usable again. And so we serve the search results for the keyword bicycle. And that's pretty much it. And we know nothing of the person. And we think this is extremely important to protect uh, user privacy. So speaking a little bit about user privacy and uh, search engines, you know, when it comes to social media, what are the ramifications of all the data acquisition that is happening right now with Facebook taking all the information of people or Amazon knowing exactly what people might want in the future from uh, previous orders? What does this mean in terms of corporate profit and advertising? It happens that today is a bit of a special day in the sense that it's the uh, 30th anniversary for the web. It was invented exactly 30 years ago today, as we're recording. Tim Berners-Lee, who's someone absolutely amazing and has you know, provided us with the web, 
because of the context he was working, he was working in a research facility, and his issue was to make the web so that people would be able to exchange documents and read each other's research document. And so in his context, the research people were all paid by the institution, and so monetizing the service was pointless. Everybody on the servers and the people were, you know, paid for by an institution and, and monetizing was not part of the equation. But it happens that the web was extraordinarily powerful and successful and so spread out of Tim Berners-Lee's laboratory. And now it is everywhere on Earth. And it exists in a world where people need to make money while publishing on the web. And so the business model for many of these free services, online services, is by capturing user data in order to make a profile of the user and then serving the user with targeted advertising. That's the main business model today for social media, for many services such as Google, for example. It's fine until you realize the implication that gathering so much data means a lot and can be a little bit scary. And, and Tim Berners-Lee today and in the past and many other people are very concerned that gathering so much user data in order to profile people could in the end be bad for people individually or as groups. We have seen last year with Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook. And, and to be honest, we think that there are many other scandals still hidden about Facebook and, and user data similar to Cambridge Analytica's. We've seen that the user data has been collected and used in order to do very toxic things to democracies, to elections and such. So this is a concern for me. If a company starts knowing everything about billions, literally billions of people in the world, they are able to manipulate these people. And indeed, Facebook in the past has done it. User manipulations on amazingly big scales like Hundreds of thousands of people have been manipulated. They've been knowing what they do. Facebook has been promoting for uh, some people negative posts and bad news and have been able to measure that indeed people were negatively impacted by getting so much negative news. And for another set of population, they've been sending more positive news and they've seen how the people reacted in having more positive messages and comments in the content. So Facebook first is able to do that and Facebook has done it already. And they didn't seem to understand that people were extremely unhappy being manipulated and being part of a social experience without being told in advance. So it shows that they can have a lot of influence on us without us noticing it, and they're willing to use it. That's extremely disturbing. Same for Cambridge Analytica. They've been, you know, messing with the Brexit thing. They've been messing with the U.S. election in, tw in 2016. 
this is this is very disturbing. Uh, so data being used to profile people makes these people can be manipulated in return in exchange of a very inexpensive service. If you do the math, for example, if you see how many billions of people are using Facebook and how much money Facebook is spending for that, you realize that basically the Facebook service is costing roughly two euros per person per year. So you're giving up all your personal data in exchange for something which is worth two euros a year, which is a terrible, terrible deal. This is the thing. The web on one side is extraordinarily exciting and powerful and can be used in positive ways. And on the other hand, today, the very business model of online services is about gathering data and potentially using that data in a negative way for the users. This is why I think all of this is a bit of an issue, because I love the web. I'm a little disturbed by the entire point of it, because the sort of utopian ideals that we had once been espousing in terms of the internet being a free place for everyone to share ideas and to engage in these sort of egalitarian methods has now been kind of destroyed a little bit. And we have all these hierarchies, gigantic corporations that own almost the entire data of everyone. So I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about that. In your time trying to sort of go a little bit back and helping create a more egalitarian system where the data doesn't necessarily get used against people, what has been the most challenging part of your career through all this? (laughs) People love the services that they use now and they don't have enough education to understand the business models. What I do often when I give a conference or discuss with people, I ask them, are you an actual customer of Google and Facebook? And the answer in most cases, yeah, of course I am. You know, they're a company, I'm a consumer, so I'm a customer. And it is wrong. They are not a customer. The real customer, the person giving money, to these uh, giant platforms is actually the advertiser. This is where the business happens. An advertiser is buying eyeballs, basically targeted eyeballs. He's giving the money to the platform. And all of us as users, we are not customers. We are, you know, we're like cows or pigs. We like, in, in a, you know, we in a farm. We're being fed, we're being used, but we're not customers. Like if you see a cow in a farm, do you really think that the cow is a customer of the farmer? Of course not. You know that the farm is not a customer of the farmer, but somehow in the internet world, because we're used to being consumers and customers, we think that we are customers of the giant platforms. So that's an issue. And and when you start discussing this with people, you know, often they they open wide eyes and they're very puzzled by what's being explained to them. And then they realize, yes, I, I am like a cow or a pig um, in a farm. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting to see them uh, realize that. Uh, so this is one of the, of the challenges is to make them realize that now they are, no, they are not customers. On a most personal level, some challenging moment was when AOL Netscape, who had created the Mozilla project, decided to give up 
on the project. They thought that, you know, this open source thing, they, they couldn't make it work. And so they decided to give up. The fact that Microsoft gave them $750 million to do so uh, certainly helped. And I was a Netscape employee. I was working on the Mozilla project at the time. And me and all of my colleagues have been laid off. And many of us deeply cared about the Mozilla project. At the time, it was summer 2003. We knew that Firefox, which, which was not released yet, was getting closer to being shipped, but it was not yet released. And so uh, we know it was coming and we know we had hard work to make it, you finalize it and release it and make it adopted. And so that, that was a real hard moment because we knew we were going to ship something that maybe was a game changer. Maybe Firefox would displace Microsoft monopoly with Internet Explorer because at the time Internet Explorer 6 was not so great browser to be polite and many web developers were very unhappy to the fact that they uh, could not uh, make new creative innovative websites because of uh, the limitations of Internet Explorer, and they were waiting for a new browser to come and take over uh, the web and bring back innovation. And we hoped that Firefox would be uh, that new browser. Um, and yet we were, you know, <laughs> we had the code of Firefox, which we had to finalize, and no money to do so. And this was the challenge. Because I was in love with the web, I was in love with its potential at the time, and we wanted to make it work, revive the web and make it innovative again, and yet there was no business model, no money, and so I used my own money to, you know, my savings, and started spending my savings on a daily basis uh, to, to create uh, Mozilla Europe with the hope that uh, with Mozilla Foundation in the US and Mozilla Europe uh, in Europe, we would finalize Firefox, we would make it localized in dozens of languages uh, and make it adopted uh, by ordinary people and, and make the web uh, innovative and alive again. And it took, you know, it's software, so it always takes longer than expected. I think that's uh, one of the very uh, laws that we've seen in software. It takes a very long time and longer than expected to ship. But anyway, uh, I think it took us like 15 months to ship Firefox. And it worked. But at the time, you know, starting an organization, a non-profit, with no idea on how we would make money, was a bit crazy. We thought it was important to do because the web is important. And so we did it. And we assembled a team of volunteers all over Europe, people in Germany, in Belgium, in the UK, in Poland, in Spain and Italy, and all of us, and of course in California. And well, we finalized Firefox. We made it available in dozens of languages and people started adopting it. We started 
telling the Firefox story. And people were excited by this new uh, browser. They were excited by the idea that it was open source, excited by the concept of open source, and seeing that they had an actual product that was working really well for them in their own language. And the word of mouth worked really well. And so in the end, uh, Firefox adoption was great. We had more than uh, 500 million Firefox users in the world. So that, that was uh, that was exciting. All of this with, you know, just a bunch of unemployed people that were laid off from Netscape and decided that the web deserved a great browser. So in the end, uh, it all ended up uh, working really well. But the decision to, you know, stay unemployed while working for free for a non-profit was a bit of a challenge at the time, which I do not regret now, but in the moment, I wasn't so sure. Obviously, it went through a bit of a hard time trying to push for these messages, which were very great, but obviously doing it for a non-profit, you weren't sort of seeing the same outcomes. But it led you to writing a lot of great things, and it led you to speaking about a lot of very, very important issues, particularly your first chapter to your book, Surveillance, is cleverly titled, Smile, You're Being Surveilled. Could you speak a little bit about the danger of surveillance itself and what its repercussions might be for users and tech industry leaders who aren't careful with how data acquisition leads to surveillance? Well, many of us do not realize that the services that we use on a daily basis are mostly, I would say, Trojan's horses for capturing data from us. It happens in your web browser, but it mostly happens in your mobile phone. If you install Facebook on your mobile phone, it doesn't show up in the newest versions of Android, but in the older versions, it was very upfront of what kind of data was being captured. And you had to accept the data, that data to be being captured, including all your contacts were taken and uploaded to Facebook servers. And they wanted to read your uh, text messages, read your email, access your GPS to know where you are, and all of that. So Facebook is doing that in the background. So you don't notice. And generally, when you when you install the Facebook application, you're, you don't care. You just want it to run like right now. And people click, OK, I accept. And then they don't realize that for a very long time, probably forever, their GPS location in the real world is being tracked. By the application. And it's the same or even worse, maybe in the case of Google. Why is Google giving you Google Chrome? Why is it giving you Google Maps? Well, Google Maps because it makes you switch on your GPS and they collect your movements on a map. Chrome because, you know, the web browser because it they collect your browsing history and how long you stay on a page. And then you have contacts and you have Gmail and you have calendar and all of these things and google drive all of these things are made to capture user data and knowing everything about you and you don't realize but google with all these services is also capturing data and you have an they have an intimacy between you and google that is just crazy like let's imagine for a second that you wake up in the morning and, and you see you have a rash somewhere I cannot decently uh, name on the microphone. And then you're, you know, you're concerned. And, and you, of course, you, you don't know yet if you can 
discuss this with your spouse because, you know, it's kind of disturbing. And maybe you should talk to a doctor about it, but you don't know yet if you're going to do that because it's embarrassing. And then, then what do you do? Well, you ask Google. And Google made no promises about, you know, hasn't done the uh, hypocrite uh, thing and, and they, they don't do the medical secret and all of that. No, they're just a company and they remember everything. Of course, because you're logged in with your Gmail account and they track every search history you have. And you do not even think about this before asking something embarrassing to Google. And so all of the data is leaking to Google and to Facebook. And the issue is it happens because data is invisible. That's a bit of an issue. You don't realize that your cell phone is generating an amazing amount of data about you. Your cell phone has several cameras, several microphones, has a GPS, has an accelerator. They have tons of sensors that generate data about you and what you do and your activity and sends it to third parties, which are not very well aligned with yours. Think about Cambridge Analytica. Did you imagine that by carrying uh, a cell phone using Facebook, this data would reveal your opinions and could be used to damage democracy. That was unthinkable at the time. <laughs> you just buy a smartphone because it's cool and nice and shiny and everything, and then the data captured actually ends up damaging democracy in the UK, in the US. This is plain crazy. That's my concern. All of these things, when they were invented, were amazing. Uh, the smartphone is, is really is a game changer. The web is extraordinary, but they're being used in negative ways. And then that's the issue uh, I have with them, even though I am a big fan of the web and, and technology. We need to make sure that the tools that we use are actually serving us. That's something we tend to forget because we are not all of us very well educated with regards to technology. We're, you know, impulse buying on a new iPhone or a new Android phone and, and maybe the installing that new app is super cool and we don't realize that it comes with ties and issues. Well, the, the technologies are definitely serving some people. It's just not all of us, sadly. <laughs> yes, and, and this is why uh, I spent so much time uh, talking about open source software, which is less shown as exciting these days. But I think it is tremendously important. Basically, open source software is the fact that the code that runs in our computer, our smartphone, our applications, and now pretty much everything we interact with on a daily basis, right? There is software in so many things, including cars, for example, and God knows how much time we spend in cars. It is basically now a car, and then and the newer versions are computers with wheels, right? There is so much software in it, it is crazy. And almost 20 years ago, Someone called Lawrence Lissig, someone extraordinary in, from the uh, U.S., Lawrence Lissig explained in an article that code is law. That in the 20th century, in the 19th century, 
the regulators, the people who make the law, were actually, you know, lawmakers, people you would vote for, and they would decide what was acceptable, what could be done or was not allowed in society. They would make the, these laws. But in the 21st century, the people who decide what we can or cannot do on a daily basis are actually the people who write the code that are in the tools, in the computers, smartphones, applications, etc. in all these tools that we use and then drive us on a daily basis and influence us on a daily basis. So the people who write the code have extraordinary power. Many people do not realize that. He wrote this in, a, in this article named uh, Code is Law in 1999, which is surprisingly still useful today, even though it speaks about technology. 20 years later, it is still interesting. And this is why open source is important. If you can read the code, if you are allowed to read the code and change the code, you actually have the ability to do whatever you want with the tool. You can reprogram the tool, you make it evolving. Or if you're not able to change the code, read it and learn from it and change it, then you depend on the developer who's written the code in the first place. And you have to ask permission for this person to change the code. Maybe they will send you, sell you a new, new version or not listen to you at all. And you can guess that, you know, people who make Facebook do not really listen to individual requests. They don't have time. They have more than 2 billion users. And their interest is not serving users. It's serving advertisers, their actual customers. So it is important that we do use open source as much as we can because it gives us to individuals control over all the electronic tools that are around us. So even though, you know, open source seems complicated and of course not everybody can read and change code, but if I am not able to read and change code, maybe I can ask someone else to do it for me. Maybe I can ask the person to audit the code. Is it actually gathering data and sending it away or is it actually serving me with the data it captures? We don't know, but if the code is open, we can start looking and we can start acting so that we have the freedom to have tools that serve us and not somebody else. So open source is giving us freedom as opposed to concentrating freedom in the hands of a few large platforms. Tristan, you have given us quite a lot to think about so far in the podcast, and I really appreciate you coming into the to our EM360 podcast and talking a little bit about this. It's not often we actually get to tackle and discuss a lot of issues that are not just important and at hand, but might be risking the well-being and the autonomy and empowerment of users. So I feel like you have given us quite a lot to think about with the next question, but I'm going to ask just in case there's anything else that might have been concerning you throughout. We always we always finish all our interviews by asking everyone the same question. So Tristan, what keeps you awake at night? That's an amazing question. I love it. I don't sleep too well these, these nights. Um, First, what I told you, but generally, what is the society that we want to build for us and for our children? That's the question. 
in terms of you know the internet and application and and business models and all of that so the technology parts that we've just discussed but also with climate and the environment i think we're facing something very important these days which is about greenhouse gases and 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 all of that it's it's all great that we have jobs that are exciting and stuff but we need to make sure that our jobs our companies uh, are not damaging uh, planet Earth because, uh, as you know, there is no planet B. <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a heavy thing to ponder about right after talking about data surveillance. But thank you so much. Did you want me to do it again? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It's 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 great. It's just, um, I guess you know, I. I think for me personally, it's it's quite a it's quite a personal issue because it's so enlightening having you say this to me as a millennial because I personally agree and I don't feel like we are actually taking as much care as we can about the issue. So it keeps me up at night and I'm glad it keeps you up at night as well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really, really great talking to you. I feel like this has been a much more reflective one than most. And for that, I really appreciate that. And I'm glad that we can finally get someone on to talk about these issues. Is there anything else you want to maybe sponsor or plug before we go? Maybe you should try uh, to use Quant as a search engine for the next, I don't know, two weeks and see uh, if it works for you. That would be my request. I will give that a go. Thank you so much, Tristan. And thank you to you for listening. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com. And Tristan, I'll see you later. Thank you so much. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com. Pour avoir un site bien conçu et bien référencé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, Yono s'occupe de tout. Ce qui est sûr, c'est qu'avec Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute